Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Now, um, I'm looking at GTV Go right now. Uh, if you pull that up on your Bloomberg terminal, you can see a number of charts that we use on television. Um, and if you click on 4 Go, you'll see something I, I noticed earlier. Danny Berger pointed it out to me. The VIX has come mm -hmm. back down to kind of the lows of the year. Whereas the move index has shot up. Volatility in fixed income is high. Um, is that what is move high. is? Move yeah. is our volatility fixed? Okay, cool. Exactly. One, thank and, you again, Matt. And we've seen, you know, this sell-off, which has been pretty amazing to me. In the course of a month, we've gone from 120 to a 160 handle. Uh, right now, the 10-year yield is trading at 164. But we've seen the, the short end of the curve um, sell off even more sharply. Hans Olsen is with us right now, Chief Investment Officer at Fiduciary Trust Company. Hans, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, you, Matt. Good to be with you. You, you also have noticed this divergence. Um, you know, equities are sailing right along, back up above 4,500 on the S&P 500, whereas we got this weird sell-off and volatility in fixed income. What's happening? Yeah, it seems as if uh, there, you know, different parts of the market are are, are making bets that are 180 degrees, uh, uh, you know, toward one another. You know, the equity market seems to be telling us that everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about inflation; it's going to be transitory. It's all going to work out. Don't worry about a, uh, you know, the taper. Uh, bond market. Not so much. If you look across, Matt, if you look across the entire landscape of fixed income uh, over the course of this month, it's down. It's, it's struggled, in fact, uh, over the course of the entire year, but it's especially noteworthy in October when the equity market has ca caught another wind and the, the bond market says, hold on, this is worrisome. And at the same time, the dollar is, is struggling as well. Well, Hans, I kind of I, you know, I'm an equity person, equity analyst by training, but I've always been told is follow the bond market. Um, what is this divergence telling you here? Should we, as equity investors, be a little bit more nervous than maybe we are? Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I think that uh, what we're seeing is a reprieve in the in the concerns uh, that the equity market had uh, last month, uh, given the earnings. I mean, they, as you said earlier, you know, the earnings uh, the earnings flow over the last couple of days have been fantastic. Uh, you know, Netflix this morning, uh, last night, uh, um, um, Biogen, Verizon, all good, right? So it, it sort of steals the nerves of investors. But um, you know, we're going to get we're going to get over the next month, right? More and more central bankers. Five of them are going to talk about. It today, um, their views on what a taper might look like. So, when the when the, the 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 concept of a taper starts to become a reality, and and we continue to get more push through on prices, um, you know, I think there will be a, a reconsideration of where we stand on the on the part of equities. There's a lot of I think price risk in equities right now, if if we start to have a reset in interest rates. Um. We've been concerned about, as you said, inflation. Is it transitory? Everybody was talking about stagflation uh, last week at the beginning of this week, although it seemed many people had very different definitions of stagflation. <laughs> but all the concern has been about chips and ships, really, at the heart of it. Yeah. I've heard less and less about COVID until, you know, this resurgence that we're seeing in the UK and now the US as well. Are, are you worried about that as an investor that we're, we don't really have our eye on the ball here? 
No, I think, you know, from, from the infections, I do think what we're seeing is that it's, it's becoming this um, increasingly a pandemic now of the unvaccinated, right? And, and more and more people are getting vaccinated, unfortunately, not at a rate that perhaps a lot of us would like. But I do think on, on the inflation front, I think we have to, Matt, look at sort of the sticky inflation versus non-sticky inflation. If we look at sort of sticky inflation, um, what we're finding is that we're back to levels that we were prior to the pandemic. So, you know, the amount of Fed cuts it into two buckets, uh, sticky and non-sticky. Sticky stuff uh, it tends to be prices that don't, um, uh, they don't move around a lot, right? So, you know, rents, um, auto registrations and the like, if they go up, they don't tend to come back down. Um, and if you look at it from that angle, you know, we're running close to 3% on a year-over-year basis on that, uh, on that sticky inflation, a little less so on, on core sticky. <laughs> um, the, the names get a bit, uh, a bit common. <laughs> But uh, but the reality is, is that I think we are resetting and I'm not sure that we're pricing that even as we work through this next phase of the pandemic. And eventually, you know, this becomes more like a, a seasonal flu because it becomes endemic rather than uh, what it has been. Hans, we're getting into the teeth of earnings uh, this week. What do you really need to hear from corporate America as you, you know, read these comments and listen to these conference calls? Uh, what I need to hear for to, to make me feel better about things. Well, I, I do think that um, any sense that we, they can they can deal uh, with the input costs rising the way they are, uh, either either by um, being able to maintain their margins, uh, uh, maybe perhaps even price rises in order to maintain those margins. Those would be very good things, and that's what I would be looking for. I mean, without a doubt, I mean the the, the earnings expectations for this quarter for this year. Um, remain, you know, very good um, on very solid revenue growth. And even though it's going to slow next year, it's still pretty solid. So I, I think there's reason to, to to stick with equities at this point, but we're going to have to buckle up at some point here when, when we start to get this policy pivot, which, which eventually is going to happen. All right, Hans, great to get some time with you. Really appreciate your insight today. Hans Olson is Chief Investment Officer at Fiduciary Trust Company. Out of Boston, this is Bloomberg. JT with our Bloomberg Business Flash. And he mentioned uh, the VIX. We were just talking about this, Paul, but I can't believe how low it is, how sanguine investors are, or at least appear to be by that measure. Let's bring in Kara Murphy. She's Chief Investment Officer at Kestra Investment Management. And what what does it mean to you, Kara, that we see, you know, bonds selling off um, and the VIX at least signaling that there's very little concern in the equity markets. Yeah, and quite a difference from just a couple of weeks ago, right, where there was yeah. a lot of hand-wringing and consternation. And I think what you're seeing is this push-pull um, as we shift from a COVID economy to a post-COVID economy. So I think we're still, you know, the market is very much testing how equipped companies and the rest of the economy are to be able to manage this type of transition where we have a less aggressive Fed, less supportive fiscal policy and more normal levels of economic growth. And, you know, there are there is still hand wringing about things like stagflation. Right. We're seeing Google searches for the term skyrocket. So there are definitely concerns out there. But for now, risk assets seem to be brushing off those concerns. 
All right, Kara, in the context of risk, risk assets, in the equity markets, what are the sectors that you are looking at right now? Again, it looks like the market's getting another tailwind here. Where are you spending your time? So one, one of the big concerns in equity markets is valuation. You have a lot of great things going for risk assets um, in terms of, you know, even though you have a decelerating, decelerating Fed support, you still do have a very accommodated, accommodated monetary and fiscal policy. You have some of the best free cash flow generation ever, really strong balance sheets. But then when you get to valuation, that's the one kind of chink in the armor of equities right here. So I think what that's telling us is that forward returns are going to be more muted than what we've seen in the recent past. And because of that, we really favor areas that have that you know, profile of the really strong cash flow generation, um, areas where you can find more quality as opposed to um, either you know, uh, deep value plays where you're looking for um, a, a rebound or areas where you might be relying on extraordinary levels of continued growth. We would favor those companies that have high quality. What about um... – I think about the financials a lot and how important it is that they get the curve, that they have the curve in the right place mm -hmm. and that they have rates higher. Are you betting that rates are going to rise or is it not worth it to place that bet right now? So uh, financials definitely need a certain level of interest rate in order to be able to earn money, but then they also need a spread. And so we've had a bit of a flattening of the curve, which makes it sometimes more, more difficult for a lot of financials to be able to earn money. So I think there, there is some continuing pickup in economic activity and demand for loans, which is certainly supportive, but they're probably not going to have that really steep curve to be able to ride. Kara, I'm going to beat um, my colleague Matt to the question here. Crypto. We've got Bitcoin all-time high here, <laughs> over $66,000 per coin. How do you guys think about the crypto space? So, you know, as a practitioner who's focused on building portfolios for clients, it's very hard to look at crypto and find a strong investment case. Only because, you know, we don't have near the history, we don't have the statistics, we don't have the sort of infrastructure around crypto that we do with more traditional asset classes. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't go up and that it won't, you know, be very a meaningful change in how the monetary system works. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just viewing it very much as a speculative bet. And mm -hmm. I caution clients all the time to make sure that if you want to be part of that story, Make sure it's a very small part of your overall allocation, and you're not betting the farm on it. I mean, I've been I've been attracted to Bitcoin in the community for over a decade now, but even to me, it's nuts to see it this <laughs> this price. I mean, it is heartburn inducing volatility. Yes, it definitely keeps me awake at night, um, not owning more yeah. of it. I, I want to just quickly ask about infrastructure. We're getting closer and closer to a bill. How close? Um, are, are markets paying really close attention to what's going on in Washington, or do they not expect much progress? I, I think the infrastructure bill is going to be a bit of a whiff, at least when it comes to the markets. Not that it's not important for you know those areas where they're making the investment, but what we've seen in the past, when this has kind of come to a head, the market has really looked through it. And, and it's really because even though the numbers associated with the infra infrastructure bill seem enormous in nominal terms, when you look at it overall in terms of its relationship to like GDP or anything like that, it's still fairly small. Now, it can have an impact on some individual companies who might be able to, you know, have plays associated with that type of spending. For the market overall, though, I don't think it's going to be a big driver.
Kara, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your thoughts today. Kara Murphy, a Chief Investment Officer for Kestra Investment Management. Now, I want to get over to RJ Gallo. As Paul said, he's joining us, Senior Portfolio Manager, Head of the Municipal Bond Group at Federated Hermes. They have... Um, about $646 billion Boom. of uh, assets under management, so no big deal. RJ, <laughs> um, I, I was I had lunch today with a big uh, infrastructure guy, normally in the U.S., and he told me it's going to be decided this week what we get from Congress. What are your expectations? Well, we're hopeful that despite the razor-thin margins that the Democrats possess and in the House and certainly in the Senate, that uh, that they can come up with something uh, to have a bipartisan agreement that's waiting to be signed, uh, and and now sort of a bargaining chip for the Build Back Better agenda, you know, which is overwhelmingly social spending oriented. Uh, it was discouraging to see how complicated it got within the Democratic Party, but all the coverage that you're seeing now is is a sign for optimism that we'll get infrastructure spending and we'll get some fiscal. Uh, spending as well. It won't be anything like the CARES Act or, or the American Rescue Plan. It's not COVID-oriented. It's longer term. So the boon to the economy from that will be uh, spread out over 10 years. But nevertheless, supportive of growth. Uh, obviously, concern is about taxes. They're going to raise taxes. Um, question is how much on corporates, corporations, and individuals. So we'll see. Certainly, munis have reflected some expectation of tax increases for a while, and I think we're going to get them. The question is the degree. So, you know, RJ, should I be um, surprised at all when I look at the 10-year? Yes, it's up a little bit from where we had been. We're up at 1.63%. But, boy, with all the talk of tapering and, you know, starting presumably next month and then interest rates rising beginning mid-next year, should I be surprised that rates aren't even higher? Well, we've been cautiously short duration in our taxable and tax-exempt fixed income um, all year. And if you step back and look on the calendar year, the 10-year Treasury is up about 72 basis points. We had that period, you know, call it the summer months generally, where the Delta variant uh, really took the narrative uh, away from the idea of economic recovery. Um, it seems like we're turning the page on the Delta variant cautiously, certainly in some of the more heavily afflicted regions of the country, um, in the South, for example. Uh, so the hope is that, that that narrative of economic recovery, COVID is, has evolved, but is nowhere near the affliction that it once was from an economic standpoint or a public health standpoint, um, and that the Fed can begin a very slow process towards normalizing, starting first with tapering. That's still there, um, and I think the bond market um, took a, a, a bit of a, di a divergence there for a while, and now we're back on that same agenda. In my mind, if you see the 10-year Treasury finish this calendar year around 175, that's where we've been for many months. Um, if you talked to me back in March, I think we said we'll probably end up around two. Along the way, we took a, a, another route, went sharply lower. We hit 112 at one point intraday back in August, I think it was. But uh, the challenges of then are not the challenges now. In terms of, uh, you know, the longer-term Fed um, moves and things like the terminal rate. What are your, what are your forecasts? Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say we probably should be talking about what level of, of nominal interest rates can the the Fed actually reach. Um, 
that's a huge input across the yield curve, obviously. Um, if you imagine term premiums over time might eventually revert back to fairly low levels, low positive levels, which is more normal when central banks aren't expanding their balance sheets, that terminal Fed funds rate then uh, holds huge sway over setting bond prices as we look out in the medium term, certainly in the long term. Now, the Fed still has it at two and a half. Uh, I think that the inflation dynamic um, has been has been troublesome, certainly according to the Fed's view. Um, we felt that the Fed was too optimistic on, on the transitory approach, that in fact inflation was, was boiling and was going to be more challenging. So at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed gets forced into tightening a little bit more than is in the market right now. The question is, does that just sort of shift forward monetary restraint into, say, 2023 or 2022? Um, and in, in doing so, your terminal rate doesn't change, really, that the Fed probably has it roughly right. You know, they have a lot of economists working on this. But I would think that the terminal rate is going to be somewhere in the low two handles, probably a little south of where the Fed really is. Um, I don't believe the world fundamentally is going to grow stronger because of everything that's gone on over the last two years. Um, we still have an aging workforce, especially in the developed countries. Yep. Uh, technology is a boon, and productivity could be helpful. That could push terminal rates up a little bit. But I don't think it's migrated sharply one way or the other because of COVID or any of the changes that this challenge has presented to us. Hey, RJ, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your perspective. RJ Gallo, Senior Portfolio Manager, is also head of the Admissible Bond Group at Federated Hermes, uh, based in Steeltown, USA, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. Boy, when you go out there as a sell-side analyst, that is the number one meeting to get. They've got uh, $645 billion in assets under management. Looking at the shares of Tesla, and that's how you pronounce it, Matt, Tesla. That's how Elon Musk pronounces it. Um, looking at the stock, it's kind of flat today, up about 22% uh, year-to-date, so a little bit better than the S&P. Got a market cap of $866 billion. They report numbers after the close today. Let's get a preview with Esha Day, uh, equity markets reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us on the phone. Esha, you know, what are you looking at here? Is it still units and unit profitability? What are you going to be looking for? Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think the top things to look out for um, Tesla uh, earnings today is margins, how profitable they were uh, selling cars, uh, any update, and how can what kind of capacity they are expecting to have on their um, Austin and Berlin plants that are still uh, being uh, you know being developed, and anything any kind of detail they can tell us about uh, the supply chain troubles that the entire automotive industry is facing and essentially how tesla is being able to navigate those troubles so much better than the traditional car makers of the world like the gms and the and the ford is that um the only, i mean there must be something else that plays into the stock price i'm looking at my comp screen right now i love to run, run the comp yep. function um, just because it gives me a steady five-year period to look at everything. Put Tesla up against Apple, Netflix, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. I mean, Tesla destroys all of those other companies in terms of its five-year um, price growth. Why? What? What is it? That's a great question. It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, so what investors are really betting on Tesla here is that this you know, this automotive industry that is undergoing a transformation at this point and which is like a really at a nascent stage 
of you know all gas driven cars being eventually be uh, being replaced by electric cars and people betting on those uh, crazy valuations on tesla are really hoping that tesla will be at the forefront of that huge market right and that they think actually justifies these uh, valuations more than you know and you know we have seen uh, a really bullish tesla investor uh Kathy Wood of course say that you know $3000 for share for Tesla is just for base case it can actually become more than that so you know that is essentially what we're looking at here uh Tesla kind of really leading and trailblazing of course this um transformation and also becoming the market leader in the future in electric cars Asher, what is a company saying these days, and what are you hearing from the marketplace about the competitive landscape? Because obviously they were essentially a, a, a monopoly in this EV business, but now we've seen, boy, the big automakers, VW, GM, Ford, and, and all the others really make some big, big commitments to their EV future. How do people think about the competitive landscape? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, we will really see the competitive cars kind of roll out and hit the market uh, starting next year. That's when like the big waves will actually start. Um, you know, as as anything as with anything in Tesla, this, this is also a, like a battleground uh, for bulls and bears to kind of duke it out. Some say that Tesla is going to lose its edge as you know, especially as like more. Um, affordably priced EVs hit the market because Tesla, Tesla has promised us a $25,000 EV, but we haven't seen that yet. We haven't heard a lot about those plans and where that is at this point. So as more affordable EVs come out and more, um, you know, we see the charging station networks becoming more ubiquitous, almost as like gas stations. That's when the adoption will pick up. And Tesla will definitely see some of its market share eroding. Tesla itself, of course, hasn't spoken a lot about the competitive landscape. We haven't seen much uh, much headway being made by any of the startup EVs yet. So, in in that uh, in that sense, Tesla still has a headway. But uh, you know, we will really see what the traditional automakers, the legacy, the, the, the auto giants, actually can do with this uh, starting next year. All right, Esha, thanks so much for joining us. It's something that. Obviously, we're all going to be following very closely. Elon, and my, I'm, will be... I'm not even sure Elon's going to be on this call, Matt. Because he'd no, last quarter. Did you see the Adam Jonas note that uh, he could be the next or the first trillionaire? The next. <laughs> I thought I laughed at first, thinking it was ridiculous, but um, he's actually not that far off already, right? He's already got a quarter of a trillion dollars. And Jonas's point was that um, SpaceX yep. could drive him to uh, levels that no yep. one has ever um, reached before. Esha Day is an equity markets cool. reporter for us here at Bloomberg News, joining us to preview the Tesla earnings, which come out today after the bell. Um, the stock really has been the best performer of the past five years of any of the major tech companies. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.